The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles again to the book of Ephesians and chapter 6. Ephesians and chapter 6. I love the very first word in our text for today, verse number 10, the word finally. We are in the home stretch of Ephesians and chapter 6. We've got two more paragraphs to go and we'll be finished the book. But just to kind of give us a tee up or set up the message for this morning. I want to just do a recap of where we've come from and to see where we're going. In chapter 1, we join with Paul as he prays God for the great salvation that God has worked for us. In chapter 2, we saw that we are saved by grace and through faith. We were dead in sin under the devil's influence and destined for the wrath of God against us. But God... Two of the greatest words in the Bible. But God made us alive because of His great mercy, His love, and His grace. We are saved to do good work, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. We saw in chapter 2 also that God has saved us into a new community of faith made up of both Jew and Gentile, one new body, one new man in Christ. And then in chapter 3, we saw the mystery of God that Paul preached, that Jews and Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members, and partakers together in Christ. He is all that we have, and He is the focus of our worship. We join with Paul at the end of chapter 3 in that great prayer in which he prays that we would all know the love of God. And why would he pray that there? Because... In chapter 4, Paul calls us to walk and live in a manner that's worthy of our calling. We saw there how he gave us the church ministry gifts that God gave us to help us onto Christ-like maturity. And we heard that we are no longer to live according to the unbeliever's ethic. And then in chapter 5... Paul called us to be imitators of God as beloved children. He called us to walk in love. He called us to walk in light. He called us to walk as wise and not as unwise. He called us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 5, verses 21 to 6 and verse 9, he commanded wives and husbands and children and slaves and masters to put into practice those commands. And then chapter 6 and verse 10, finally... Finally, we are in the second to last paragraph of the book. In this paragraph and Paul's final greetings, and we are finished with the study of this book. Well, let's read together uh, chapter 6 and verse 10 down to the end of the book in verse 24. And Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. The words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts." Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The paragraph deals with the impact of having been saved out from the influence of the prince of the power of the air. We are no longer trapped and fastened inside the domain of darkness. We have been brought into the kingdom of his dear son. How do we live as Christians in light of that fact? You remember David and Goliath. I was going to tell the kids a story and explain and analyze how David is a picture of the coming Christ who would come and defeat the greatest enemy that we could not defeat. Our anointed king, Jesus Christ, has defeated our enemy. In 1 John 3 and verse 8, the Bible tells us that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. He came as the Father's sent Son to defeat our enemy. Uh, Christ has conquered the devil. We have been saved. The devil knows that he is defeated. And the end for them, the devil and the demons, is absolutely sure. But listen, they're not going down without a fight. They're going to make it as most difficult as possible for us until the end. The devil and his demons will spend every ounce of energy trying to turn us away from following Jesus Christ. And there's two dangers we can have regarding the devil. Number one, we can ignore the devil. Or number two, we can focus all of our attention on the devil constantly. And both are equally dangerous. The right approach is, number one, don't ignore the devil. He is certainly there. And number two, don't live in fear of the devil because he has been defeated. And greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. So greater is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that fills us as believers than the devil that prowls this earth. We have to be prepared for when the devil comes with his twisted schemes to try and turn us away from following Christ. So if you got your little blue uh, sheet there, it's in the bulletin of no, sermon notes, you'll see the message in a nutshell is simply this. Having been delivered from the devil's domain of darkness and brought it into the kingdom of God's dear Son, as new creatures in Christ, we must prepare to stand firm against the devil and his schemes by which he intends to turn us off the path of following Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to look at 
all those different parts of the armor next week. But I want us to see primarily this week our need to prepare, our purpose for preparing, and our obedience in preparing as well. So first of all, our need to prepare. (coughs) Excuse me. I want you to note... (coughs) That's even worse. Hang on one sec. There we go. First of all, let's unpack the logic of the text. Okay, so first, Paul commands us to be strengthened. That's a passive verb in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord, or probably better, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Second, he commands us in verse 11 to put on the full armor of God. And then he gives us three purposes, three reasons why we should put it on. In verse 11, he puts, he says, put it on so that you will be able to stand firm or to endure against the schemes of the devil. And the second purpose is in verse 13. He says, so that you will be able to resist or withstand the devil. And then in the last part of verse 13, having done everything, you may stand firm. Okay, that's the purpose. Then he gives us an explanation for the purpose of our standing. In verse 12, he says, for our struggle... And when you see in the New Testament the little word for, F-O-R, most often it means an explanation of what's about to fall. Not every time, but often it means this is an explanation. So he says, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. For, to explain that, we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We need to be prepared to stand against the devil's schemes. We need to be prepared because we struggle not against flesh and blood, but we struggle against the devil and his company. Now remember again, back in Ephesians 2, 1 to 4, Paul describes our life before Christ, and he says that we once lived and walked according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 describes how we were once in the domain of darkness. Okay, That was where we were before we were believers. But God intervened on our behalf, and according to his love and mercy and grace, he made us alive in Christ. Uh, Colossians 1.13 actually says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we're no longer in his domain, nor under his control. And guess what? The devil did not like the fact that he lost us. But know this. Keep this in the back of your mind. There's some things we need to know about the devil and his schemes and his work, and we'll unpack them this morning. But remember this. The devil cannot stop the work of God. Number two, the devil cannot reclaim us back again. You cannot lose your salvation. Hang on to that thought. All right? You can, the devil can only strive in futile madness to hinder and harm and prevent every work of God that he can. What are we supposed to know about this devil and his adversary? One thing for sure. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 that we are not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes. You've got to remember who he is and who we're dealing with here. We're supposed to know our enemy. Now the, the, the dividing line there, there's a hinge point there. You can know the enemy wisely 
And you can go way beyond that and know too much about him and spend a whole lot of time focusing on him. People have, in the past, spent so much time and effort and concentration thinking about the devil and who he is and what he does that they've actually been drawn back into his realm. Okay, That's possible. So you don't want to spend too much time focusing on it. You want to know safely and wisely who the enemy is. You've got to remember a couple things about him. In John 8, verse 44, he is a deceiver and a liar. The Bible says um, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Remember, secondly, the devil is an accuser of the saints and the brethren. The book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, that uh, the angel showed them Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. One of the Satan or the devil's works is to accuse the brethren. Revelation 12 verse 10 says this, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night. That's talking about Satan or the devil. Uh, in case you're wondering, Satan, devil, two names, same person, right? Primarily, the devil opposes and hinders every work of God that he can. In First Thessalonians 2, verse 18, the Bible says, We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan hindered me. Wes took us through Daniel 11, 10, 11, 12 in the last couple of weeks in uh, August there, and we were looking at how that Gabriel, I think it was, or one of them was hindered constantly by the enemy. That enemy hindered them. Satan is a hindrance or a hinderer, if I can say it that way, of all the work of God that God is trying to do, God is accomplishing. We know from the book of Job that he, is, he the devil, tries to discourage us into abandoning our faith in God. He sends discouragement in all sorts of ways. He longs. He longs to cause us to stumble and fall into sin. He longs to cause us to turn away from following Christ. He does that in a number of different ways. But one way in particular stands out among them all. He is a liar and he is opposed to the truth. Listen again, John eight forty four. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Why is it so important, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be in the word of God constantly, that we might know the truth? Uh, you probably heard the story, but it bears repeating. Uh, when they train people on how to detect counterfeit money, you know how they do it, don't you? They give them counterfeit money to study and investigate, right? No, they don't. What they do is they get people in a big room like this, and they have them all lined up in rows, and the guys will walk down the side of the rows, and they'll take out stacks of $100 bills, and they'll start passing them down the row. Along and everybody takes the hundred bill and they, they feel it, they rub it, they smell it, they taste it if you want. There's a very particular taste and feel and smell to true money. And they keep passing the hundred dollar bills in a row. And every once in a while, the examiner will slip in a counterfeit bill and see how long it takes them to pick it up. It's a counterfeit bill. And almost right away, they pick it up. You know why? 
because they're so familiar with the true money, the way it tastes, the way it feels, the way everything about it, that immediately they can detect a counterfeit bill. I worked with a fellow in Canada for a number of months who was an expert in counterfeit money. He would actually bring out counterfeit dollars and he would show me, you see, and he would point this minuscule little detail. He said, you see that right there? And I go, yeah, sort of. And he go, that's how we know it's counterfeit. I would never have known that. But his job had been to study constantly what real money was like. And the reason why it's so important, brothers and sisters, for us all to be constantly in God's Word, soaking up God's Word, learning, memorizing, meditating, is that in knowing the truth, we will discern and understand when error has been propounded or a lie is being whispered in our ear by the devil. He is a liar and he is a father of lies. The devil questions the truth. On the little blanks there, number one, the devil questions the truth. In Genesis 3.1, The serpent was craftier than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? He questions it. The devil will always question the truth. The devil denies the truth. Secondly, Genesis 3, 4, and 5, next verses. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. And he spun a half-truth at them. Because he knew that there would be death, but he also knew that they wouldn't physically die because he knew that that wouldn't actually happen. You will not show... It's a a half-truth. Hence the need, brothers and sisters, to fasten the belt of truth that he will talk about down in verses 14, 15, and 16 there around our waist to protect our vital spiritual organs. The devil denies the truth. The devil also tempts us to disobey the truth. In Genesis 3, that whole story, he spins lies and weaves doubt and he displays sin as desirable. You see how Eve looked at the thing? Eve looked at the fruit. She saw that it was pleasing to the eyes. She saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was desirable to make one wise. And the devil whispered all those little things in her ear and he deceived her and tempted her into taking that fruit and committing sin against God. The devil tempts us to disobey God's truth. Fourthly, the devil blinds men's eyes to the truth of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The devil runs around and he tries to make sure you can't see. He will throw all kinds of amazing distractions in front of your face so that you don't see the light of the truth of the gospel. He will put power and fame and fortune and all the stuff that this world throws out and he'll put it up as a distraction to keep the people from seeing the truth of the gospel of God. Hence again, the need for us to be armed and equipped with the truth, to have our feet shod, as he says later on in the passage, with the readiness to preach and proclaim the truth of the gospel. Fifthly, the devil snatches away the truth of God's word. Jesus is telling a parable in Mark, Matthew 13 and verse 19 about the sower and the seeds and so on. And he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Hence the need. Brothers and sisters, the need, the great need to be praying always in the Spirit, which Paul's going to say a little later on. 
to pray and plead in their prayers that he may preach the truth of the glory of God so that we, we pray for each other. That as the word is sown, that it bears fruit. One of my things I need to remind myself of more often as I'm driving home from here is, Lord, take the word of God that was preached and may it bring forth fruit. Lord God, take the word that Noel and Priya and all the other Sunday school folks in there faithfully teaching little kids the truth of the gospel. Take those truths and bring forth fruit from them that those kids might know the truth of the gospel and be saved. The devil, as we said, he snatches away the truth. The devil also gives us thorns in the flesh to discourage us. You know the story of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He had a thorn in the flesh. And he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations of this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. The devil brings along all kinds of sufferings and trials and tribulations to keep us discouraged and try and turn us away from following the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember this. The devil is defeated. The devil is also on the leash of God and God has the far end and the devil is allowed to go so far and no more. The same the story in the book of Job. And all these things show us the fact that he questions the truth and denies the truth and tempts us to disobey the truth and blinds men's eyes to truth. The fact that he's a deceiver, an accuser, a hindrance to all of God's work. It all emphasizes the need for us to be prepared for the battle. And that's what Paul's saying. Your believers in Christ, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God and those things that you may be able to stand because our war, our struggle, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places where to stand against the schemes of the devil. And the way he does most of his scheming is by denying the truth and hindering the truth and opposing the truth. So the question, of course, comes up, is it our responsibility entirely to stand on our own against the devil's schemes? And the answer is, it's not. And we're going to explain that at the end of the message, all right? So number one, there is the the need. Number two, there is the purpose for our preparing. Again, notice those two or three purpose clauses in verse number 11. He says, so that you may be able to stand, or the word may be better rendered as endure against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 13, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And then verse 13, so that having done everything to stand firm. And it hit me just this morning how important that having done everything is. And we'll see that in just a second. Three end purposes for our preparation. To stand or to endure. Probably doing endure is the best. To resist and to stand having done everything. All right. Our preparation, what it actually is, praying for strength and putting on the full armor and so on. We'll look at those at the end. But for now, I want to look at the purpose for our preparing. We prepare so we may be able to endure. And that word there, stand or endure, means to have the sufficiency to stand up and to endure whatever comes against us. To have sufficient strength. Paul does not have in mind that we'll stand against the enemy's assaults the first time, and that's it. 
He has in mind that we will endure against all the enemy's assaults. The devil will not try one scheme or two and then throw up his hands and say, oh, never mind, can't do it, forget it, let's go home. He's not going to do that. If one scheme fails, he will immediately attempt another variation of a scheme or device against you to get you to turn away from your faith. Again, I can see some of your faces. I'm going to remind you again. Remember, he is defeated. He will scheme. He will plot. He will try all kinds of things. But in the end, he is defeated. Keep that in the back of your mind. All right. Remember the story of Job. Job comes up with all the angels into God's presence. And God says to to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him in all the land. And you remember Satan's response. You protect him. He just trusts you because you put a hedge around him. You protect him. Take away the hedge and he'll curse you. And God says, all right, you can touch everything, but don't touch him. You may not touch him. And the day, of course, what happens, the devil goes out, and in one day the, the house falls down, the, the, her, the raiders come in, steal all his flocks and herds. He loses all of his family, all his possessions, all his belongings. In one day, he loses them all. And the story of Job's amazing. And Job bowed with his face to the ground, and he worshipped God. Naked came I from the womb, naked I shall return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He will not give up his faith. Time goes by. The angels come before God. Satan comes with them. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? No one like him. Although, and he says in 2 and verse 11, although you incited me against him. And Satan, he doesn't even stop to consider his defeat. He just goes, touch his body and he'll curse you. Immediately he jumps to the very next device. He doesn't even think for a second about how the first one died. He's already thinking about something else he can try. And Paul is saying, listen, there's a purpose in all of this so that you will endure against the schemes of the devil. You'll stand firm against them. And it isn't just the first scheme that you have to stand against. It's all of them. Remind you again, you're not doing this in your own strength. And we're going to touch that at the very end, okay? The devil hates you, the fact that you and I follow Christ. The devil hates that you and I listen to and heed and obey the truth. He's the father of lies. We follow the truth of the gospel. We follow Jesus Christ who is called the way, the truth, and the life. And he hates that fact. Can't stand it. And he will come at us again and again and again to turn and, sorry, to try everything he can to turn us away from following Christ. The Christian life, listen, is not a sprint race. The Christian life is a marathon race of running to endure. Now you say, you're saying the Christian life is a grind, we just gotta get through it? No, that's not what I mean either. What I mean is it's a race, it's a joyful race, but it's a long distance race. It's run over the whole course of our lives. This life of following Christ is a marathon of joyful endurance. Put it that way. Paul says, put on the full armor that you may be able to endure. Put on the full armor so that you may have sufficient to endure the devil's schemes in the evil day. That's the day that we're in. So why is endurance so important? I mean, it's a good question, right? Why couldn't Jesus lean over and go, and blow the devil away and be done with him? There is a really good reason. And it's a tough one. 
Why is endurance so important? Matthew 24, 10 to 13. This is what Jesus said. Listen to his words. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But listen, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Does that mean it's possible to lose your salvation between here and the end? And the answer is no, not at all. Doesn't mean that at all. It means that the one who is truly saved, he will safely and surely endure all the way to the end. It means the proof that we are being saved, we are truly saved, is the endurance of this race. Okay? Keep in mind, you cannot lose your salvation. The proof of your salvation is proved by the enduring of this race all the way to the end. Okay, Luke 21, verses 16 and 19. This is what Jesus said again. But you will be be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you'll be hated by all because of my name. That's tough times. That's the devil's schemes to get us to turn away. This is what Jesus finished up with. He said two things, massively important and almost contradictory. He said, yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Is Jesus saying that we can lose our faith if we don't endure to the end? No, that's what you're tempted to think. But it's not what he's saying. Paul is saying that in this passage we'll face the schemes of the devil. Jesus is saying we will face hard times as the devil brings all these things against us to tempt us to turn away. Jesus is saying, not one hair of your head, right? Some of you might be losing it, but you know, whatever there will we'll survive to the very end. Not one hair of your head. It may be gray. It may be a little you know, thinner and maybe a little coarse. I don't know, but whatever you've got will survive. I suddenly realized there might be some people who would be offended by the bold comment, so I thought I'd better just cover that over. We'll edit that out later. <laughs> uh, Jesus is saying that we will survive. Not one hair of our head will perish. Even if we face the worst, those who are truly saved will endure to the end. We cannot lose our salvation. Remember, God saved us. God started a work in you, and God always finishes what he starts. Greatest words in the New Testament, it is finished. Jesus finished the work. The work that God started in you will be finished. The Christian life begins with God calling us to obey. Okay, hang on to this. The Christian life is God empowering us to obey the gospel. The Christian life is responding in obedience to God's commands. The act of obedience displays the truth of salvation. I said it before, I'll say again. You claim to be saved and live like the devil, you're not saved. Simple as that. You cannot make a profession of faith, get baptized, be included, and so on, and then go off and live any which way you like. That is nowhere said in the New Testament. That's a very common doctrine in theology today in Christian circles. As long as I believe in Christ, I can live any way I like, I'm still saved. No, you're not. But here's the point. The truth and the reality of our salvation is displayed by the fact that we obey. We strive to obey God's commands. Okay? 
The act of obedience, say it again, displays the truth of our salvation because when we obey and put on the armor of God, it is so that we will endure to the very end. The purpose of our preparing is endurance. The purpose is so we will have sufficient to stand and to endure. The other two purposes, we're looking at it in a second, are really only restatements of this one idea, but I want to get this across to us. Paul says, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to endure against the schemes of the devil. But we do that on our own. You should know by now to go, no, we're not, because we're not doing that on our own. We'll look at that in just a sec. But we are called to endure. The proof of our salvation, I'm going to get this across, this is so important. The proof of our salvation is the striving inside and outside to obey God's commands. And that's why Paul says in a very powerful language, he uses some of the strongest verbs in this little passage here. Be strong, put on, um, and also a bit later, take up the whole armor of God. That obedience is only possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. That obedience proves the reality of our salvation. If we're not living in obedience to God, we're not saved and we won't endure. But if we are striving to obey, we are saved and we will endure. Does that make sense? Make sense? Good. Okay, let's move on. The other two purposes there, to resist and to stand firm, they're restatements with slightly different emphasis on the same idea of enduring. Withstand or resist means to withstand against the temptations. It's the same idea of enduring. To stand firm, having done everything. That's so important. Why is having done everything so important in light of obedience? Because don't expect to stand firm if you're not obeying. Make sense? He says obey. The proof of your salvation is obeying. And when I call you to, to put on the armor of God and be strong in the Lord, those are commands to be obeyed. If you are choosing to disobey the God's commands, you will not endure, and you're probably not saved. Just put this aside for a sec. I've been watching and listening to what's been preached in churches. Uh, Rod and I do talk a lot about this. And one of the things that's preached a lot in churches is salvation is by faith in God, which is right. It is. But salvation by faith in God is not faith alone. Salvation by faith in God is always accompanied by obedience and good works. It's proven and displayed by the obedience that we live and good works. But what we have done in our generation, certainly mine, maybe the one before me a little bit, and certainly the one after me, have done this a lot, is we have so emphasized faith... By faith we're saved, and we have almost disregarded the idea that we are saved by faith to obey God. The outcome of that train of preaching for the last 50 years is we raised up a whole generation of Christians who think, as long as I believe the right thing, I'm saved regardless of how I live. That is not true. The Bible does not say that. In fact, the Bible, I haven't actually counted it up, but I'm going to make an educated guess. The Bible says as much about obedience to God as about faith in God. And the two are go together. Yes, we are saved by faith in God. We trust God and we are saved. But that salvation is produces obedience in our lives. Without it, there is no proof of salvation whatsoever. All right. Back to the message. 
Our obedience in preparing. There is an obedience. And you thought we'd never get here? Well, here we are. Notice the text again. There are three commands Paul makes in this passage. We're going to look at the first one today, and then we'll tie the other two to the next passage next week. The first one is, be strengthened in the Lord. Or if you may have a Bible, we'll say, finally, be strong in the Lord, and the strength of his might. That's verse number 10. I asked before, does God expect us to stand and endure the devil's schemes entirely on our own? And the answer is, no way. God is so gracious and God is so kind. He knows that would never happen. And the first command is so incredibly, it's beautiful. I love the way God works and God writes. His, the command, if you spelled it out in sort of extended language, it'd be like this. Be continually strengthened in the Lord. It is a passive uh, imperative verb. You say, who cares? It's a Greek verb tense. We don't want to know about Greek verbs. Is so important. We've seen this before in Ephesians. You remember when he said in Ephesians 5.18, be continually filled with the Spirit? And I said, yeah, that's a passive imperative, which means that a passive imperative means it's a command that I make to you that someone does to you. It's not a command I make to you that you yourself do. If I say, Elisa, stand up, and that's a command given to her that she's supposed to stand. You don't have to. It's all right. But if I say to Elisa, receive the text... She goes, okay, puts her hands out, and someone else brings something and puts it in her hands. She is receiving something. See? So a passive imperative verb means that it's a command for which you receive the action. So when Paul says, be strong in the Lord, what he's actually saying is, be strengthened by the Lord in the, in the power of his might. You receive that strength. And this is what's so beautiful about it. The standing against the schemes of the devil does not begin when we strap on and buckle on the armor and pick up a sword and and put on the shield and walk out and stand there ready to fight. It begins when we're on our faces before God crying out and pleading for His strengthening of us so that we'll be able to stand. You get it? Because we make so much about the armor. And we should. It's good. We're going to look at it next week. But the first point is this. You receive the strengthening that only God can give you. You receive the strengthening in your life, in your heart, that God by His Spirit can give you so that you'll be able to stand. So we cry out to God for His strength. We plead with God. Please, O God, if I am to endure as You promised, You must strengthen me. Please strengthen me. What does Paul pray for the Ephesians? Take your Bibles, flip back over to Ephesians chapter 1. He prays. In verse number 19, it's a different language, but it's the same thing. He prays that we may have the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. That's the power of God to strengthen us. That we may be strengthened with power in the inner man. I believe he says it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. And most of the books, he makes some reference to prayer to God strengthening us. He gives us the strength and the ability to be able to stand up. But we have to ask for it. Just as surely as we ask for God to fill us with his spirit on a regular basis, so we plead with God that he would strengthen us. The question you have to ask, of course, is, 
wouldn't it be so much easier for God to merely remove us from the devil's schemes so that it'd be so much quicker and so much easier to endure the end? Why can't God just go, look, get rid of the devil? Why doesn't he do that? He does it because he allows it to happen so that we will be continually on our faces seeking his strength. You imagine if God took away all the resistance that there is, all of the devil's schemes, how much would we trust God? Not much. How much would we go back again and again and again and again to the word of God, to know the truth of God, to be able to discern what's true and what's wrong? How much would we be on our faces before God, crying out for his strength that would glorify him in giving it? Not much. So God, in his wisdom and in his grace, he allows the devil on a leash, like I said before, to come against us with those schemes to keep us on our faces before God, crying out and pleading with him for strength. It's a continual thing. That verb is a present Passive imperative. It means it's a continual, ongoing, repetitive thing, which means that every single day we go before God and we cry out for the strength to get through this day, to enable us in our weakness to endure as he gives us more grace. But you know what? I, just to give you some encouragement and some confidence, it's what the Word of God talks about. Listen to what he says in Psalm 29, verse 11. He says, The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. We can take a verse like that and say, Lord, You promised that You would give me strength. And I am here this morning on my face before You that You would give me that strength. Psalm 68, 35. O God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. Not only have you promised that you would do it, you have done it in the past. Lord God, please do it today. You want to know how to pray for each other? We don't need to know all the details of what's going on in each other's lives to pray for each other very effectively. Cry out to God that He would give each of us the strength to strengthen us in the inner man. That we'll be able to stand and endure against the devil's schemes. If you think the devil isn't scheming and plotting against every single believer in this church, you're sadly mistaken. Cry out to God each day that God will strengthen every person in this church. That they'll stand against the devil's schemes. That they won't give way to them. They won't allow anger to take root. They won't allow sin and bitterness to take root and bring out sin in our lives. Cry out to God for the strengthening of Him in each of our lives. That we will be able to stand this day all through the day. Isaiah 40 verses 29 to 31. Love This is beautiful. Listen to it. He says, He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, Be strong in the Lord. Be strengthened by God. Cry out to God for yourself and for each other that God would strengthen us to stand against the schemes of the devil. Come before God and say, I'm weary. I cannot make it without your strength. Please help me. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. I've shared this verse with you a couple of times. It's one of my favorite Old Testament prayers or encouragements. Do not fear. 
for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These great promises of God have been made to us, to your people. Please, O oh God, strengthen us that we will endure. I said it before, I'll say it again. The battle does not begin by strapping on the armor. The battle begins on our faces before God in full recognition that we are utterly helpless and weak. I just remembered a, a thing I read years ago in a grade school, I think, uh, reading about soldiers and uh, knights in battle, you know, the old days of chivalry. A knight was to go into battle. The thing he would do before he was actually dubbed a knight he would go and he would spend the whole night in the chapel of the, the castle, wherever he was. He would take his sword and lay it aside and take his shield and lay it aside. And he would kneel before the altar and he would spend the night in prayer, pleading with God for wisdom and strength and grace. And when that whole night of prayer was over, he would stand up and he would pick up the shield and pull his sword into the sheath. And he would walk out and they would dub him the knight and he'd go off and fight in battle. It was a simple little child's book. But it illustrates so powerfully the truth. That soldier, that knight going into battle, he began the night before on his knees before God, pleading with God for strength. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we going to stand against the schemes of the devil? By the way, this does not apply just to young men and young women. It doesn't apply just to middle-aged men and middle-aged women now that I'm there. It doesn't apply to old men and old women. That's where I'm going. It applies to every single one of us. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter where you are in life. The devil is scheming constantly to turn you away from following Christ. Don't make the mistake of ignoring that fact. Don't overdwell on it. Cry out to God for the strength you need to meet and walk through that, that battle. These great promises God has made to us. And like David, way back in that other story, the battle didn't begin in Saul's tent. Remember the story goes into Saul's tent and tries on the armor, tries walking around, can't do it. Doesn't begin there. The battle for David that day that he beat Goliath didn't begin in Saul's tent. It didn't begin standing on the battle lines with all soldiers talking about who Goliath was. It didn't start there. It didn't start back in Jesse's house, gathering up the food, the bread and the cheese to take down to the commander of the host of the armies of Israel. It didn't start there. It started on the backside of a hill with a bunch of sheep. David alone with his God. Learning how to worship God. Learning how to fight the battle on his own before God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, where are you at this morning? Brothers and sisters... We are all in this battle. How many of us, how many of us are giving in every day to the devil's schemes? How many of us are giving in and going along, thinking it doesn't matter, as long as I believe in Jesus, I'm saved, I'll go to heaven one day? You could very easily deceive yourself into thinking you're truly saved when you're not. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm pleading with you, listen. Devil is scheming. He doesn't come out with a sign that says, Attention, one moment, please. 
Please note, the next five minutes of your thinking will all be my scheming to get you turned away from Christ. Just so you know, this is a little warning statement, like, you know, the warning thing on the airplanes. The exits are here, here, and here. The devil comes and comes out and say, scheme got to come. The exits are here, here, and here. He comes along, and the most subtle voice, he whispers just in your head, you deserve more. You this. He starts to whisper the subtlest ideas. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're not in the Word of God, knowing the truth, soaking our hearts and our minds in the truth every single day, we will not see the scheme when it comes and will fall quickly to the prey. The battle begins on our knees. The battle is fought one-on-one before God, on our face before God, that we would not fall. Let's read the text again, then we'll, we'll pray. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Would you stand with me and we will pray. Loving Father, this morning we come before you again and we give you thanks, O God, We thank you, O God, that Jesus has conquered, has conquered sin and death and Satan. Thank you, O God, that our enemy is surely defeated. But Father, please awaken us to the reality that he continually plots and schemes, even to the very end, to turn us aside from following Christ. Father, we thank you that he is and has always been on your leash. You hold the end and you allow him to go so far and no further. But Father, we do know that you allow him to come close enough to whisper things that would, that would tempt us to turn away from following you. Father, thank you for the reality of the promise that those of us who truly believe, who are truly saved, will endure all the way to the very end. But Father, we thank you also for the truth of Scripture that truly being saved is a life of obedience. Father, we pray, we cry out to you, O God, for all of us as a church. We plead with you, O God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us with strength, with power, with might, your might, in our inner man. Father, that we would be able to endure. Father, we cry out to you that you would do that work in us. And Father, as we go this week, through our week, and we come again next week to look at the next verbs, the next commands, to take up, to put on the whole armor of God, that is an obedience issue that we must deal with. Father, we cry out to you that you would do a great work in this church. Father, help us never to buy into the idea that I have faith in God, I can live any way I'd like. But because I have faith in God, I willingly, lovingly, joyfully submit in obedience to Him. 
Father, do a great work in us. We cry out to you. We plead with you, O God. Father, for the one or two that may be here this morning that don't know you, have never been, never begun a walk of faith, may they hear the call to come and believe and, and be saved. Father, my heart goes out too to many in this room who may have bought into an idea of Christianity that says you can believe and live any way you like. Father, I cry out to you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would arrest them in their movement. Stop them, O God. Pull their attention hard and firm down to the Word of God that they would see the truth, that the life of faith is a life of obedience. Father, I plead with you that you would do a great work. Lord, we've been talking about it and praying about it for months, and we cry out to you again. We plead with you, O God, for a revival. Father, we know a revival comes when the word of God is preached, and men and women begin to get on their knees and on their faces and cry out to you in prayer for that revival. Move us, O God. Shake us. Powerfully work in us, O oh God, that we would do exactly that. We would get off of our complacency, fall on our faces before you and cry out to you that there would be a great work of your Holy Spirit, that men and women would see the truth of the gospel, see it for what it really is, and plead with you for forgiveness. Have mercy on us, O oh God. We cry out these things. Father, we're going to keep asking and keep pleading until you begin to work. Father, we know that this is a work that only you can do. And we ask you, O oh God, to do it. Have your way with us, O oh God. Father, we sang a little while ago, search me, O oh God. Father, search every heart in this room and enable each person to know the truth of their heart to know where they stand before you. Father, do whatever is necessary in each of our lives to awaken us and arrest us where we are, that we would see the truth of the gospel. We would see where we really stand before you. And Father, if we are not saved, to turn around and cry out for mercy and for forgiveness. Father, for those who are teetering on the very edge of turning away, Father, I plead with you that you would bring alongside them comforting words, encouraging words. Bring alongside them, bring into their view the words of Scripture that would turn them back to seeking after you and walking with you regardless of the cost. Father, we plead these things and we ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, our Heavenly Father, and the grace of Christ, the risen Son, and the fellowship of God the Spirit keep our hearts and minds within His love.